What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to the Like Stars Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Pete Goodman. So excited to be doing this again, answering your questions, talking about things that relate to wisdom, faith in Jesus, and finding life to the fullest that he offers. Got some really cool, uh, interesting things to talk about today that your questions have come in. Questions about, uh, was Jesus actually a metaphor for ancient sun worshipers? <laughs> it's out there. Uh, questions about what to do when the Bible seems to promise us something, but it doesn't actually happen. Um, and even this idea of spirits who are imprisoned and the Nephilim and Genesis and the book of Jude, that what's going on there, all that kind of came in this week. So I thought I'd spend some time. It's, it's a lot. I had to spend some time researching this week to make sure I didn't make a fool of myself. But we'll try to dive through this stuff together and uh, yeah, just see what God wants to say about it. Uh, before we do, just a reminder, if you're watching uh, on YouTube, thanks so much. Make sure you're subscribing and uh, sharing videos. There's a ton of stuff on there. So check it out. If you're listening uh, on the podcast, please make sure you follow the podcast and uh, so you can get it every week. Uh, and I so appreciate those of you that are, are sharing, liking, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's helping it grow. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited to see the way that God is using it, and I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, today's podcast is sponsored. Uh, our sponsor for this podcast uh, is Cheeto Stains on Your Shirts. Cheeto Stains on Your Shirt, perfectly fine if you're a child. A sign you might have a problem if you're an adult. Cheeto Stains today's Like Stars podcast. All right, you guys ready? Let's dive in with the first question that came in this week. It's it's big. Uh, and actually, just to be clear, uh, sorry, this question actually came in a few weeks ago and, and I had a chance to email them back and forth. So, uh, But it's, it's a heavy one and I was kind of waiting for it. So to summarize it or to put it simply, let me just say this. There is a question that came in. It said, how do you respond to claims that are kind of circling the internet that was going on that Christians were actually heliognostics or sun people, sun worshipers, sun knowers, and that the Bible and especially the gospels are really just an allegory for the movement of the sun. Okay. When I first heard this, uh, I'll just be completely honest. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't, I just, I just honestly, I just like, I don't, I have this is the first time I've ever heard of this. Maybe some of you are listening. You're like, wait, what? And then maybe some like, I've heard that. And I, I just quickly did a little Google search and it's, it's not a small thing. It's like kind of all over the internet. So I understood why uh, this person was asking and question about it. Essentially, uh, the argument goes that Jesus is really just one of many, the most recent of many similar virgin-born sun god stories, uh, and that those stories are all throughout the ancient world. Jesus is just a new one. And in fact, uh, this long history of astrology, which according to all these online people, isn't the weird stuff it is today. It's really just ancient science. Um, it was all about tracking the pattern of the stars, and that uh, the gospels and the story of Jesus is just an analogy for tracing the patterns and movements of the stars. And we completely misunderstood all of it. And it's really just an ancient form of pagan sun worship. Uh, yeah, that's that's out there. And I, it, it is out there. And <laughs> the more I looked, I was like, wow, people are really, you know, there's references to Da Vinci and recent comments made by the Pope in the last 50 years or something. Uh, and that this whole, there's a whole charts you can find where Jesus, the stories of Jesus' travels are just charting the course of the star heavens and the sun. And uh, <laughs> so let's talk about it. 
Now, I, I want to be clear that I'm not interested in just coming on here and talking about silly conspiracy theories and things that have no value. And this one, I think I, it caught me off guard and I was surprised by it. But the more I looked into it, like a lot of people are, seem to be talking about it or have been. But more than anything, this sort of issue or this question raised a bigger issue that I actually really do want to talk about. And I think it's very important for us. And at the core of it is this. All the helio worship, sun worship, what allegories, put all of that aside just for a second. And let me talk about what's one of the things that at the core problem of it. And as I was just perusing some of these Reddits and YouTube people that are saying all this stuff, there was one theme that was repeated over and over and over. One thing that all of them had in common, and it was this. All of this idea, all these ideas, all these people talking, the one thing they all have in common is a complete and utter disregard and misunderstanding for Judaism. And let me say that again. It's a complete and utter disregard for Jewish people. The early Christians, just, and let, I, I know some of you are like, we know this, but let me just say it. The early Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew and all of his disciples were Jews, and all of the original people that followed him were mostly 99% Jews. Every once in a while in the Gospels, you see an occasional Gentile sprinkled in, and it's unusual because it was about Jews. Jesus was the claiming to be the Jewish Messiah, fulfilling Jewish prophecies, and his followers were Jewish men and women who were waiting for a Jewish Messiah. So, let me just say this. I'm gonna like a broad brush. I'm gonna speak with. Anytime you come across one of these conspiracy theories, one of these like, well, it's actually this or this. One of the first things that you should ask yourself, and and it can quickly just hold on, stop. Is this? Does this belief? Does this thing you're talking about reflect well how a normal Jewish person living in the first century Palestine thought? And the answer is not even remotely. Like you could not be further from the truth of all of this. And let me explain this. It is an unquestionable fact of history that a Jewish person living in the time of Jesus would have been appalled to have been in any way associated with any kind of pagan or Gnostic belief. The Greeks around them, some of the Romans, they, that stuff was going on around them. Absolutely, it was going on around. There were other myths about creator, son, that, yes, that was going on. Jewish people rejected all of it. Um, anything, especially anything that led to you create, worshiping part of creation. The Jews were very distinct. They were unique from any other people on the planet in the ancient world because of this thing they called monotheism, one God. And that one God, there weren't, bunch, there weren't tons of gods. The sun wasn't a god. The moon wasn't. There was one God, and he created everything. And everything that exists, as we even talked about last week, looking at kind of Genesis and stuff, God did not create a bunch of smaller gods. There aren't smaller gods. The sun is not a god. The sun is just a thing that God created. It is not to be worshipped. Um, Jews were absolutely passionate about this idea. They were, they were known by it. They were called by other people, one God people, monotheists, they don't worship the creation. And the scriptures that they held to, that they believed in, they talked about, were very clear about this. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and I'm just going to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, verse 13. 
When you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Why did Moses need to say that in the book of Deuteronomy? Because other cultures worshiped the sun and the stars and all those kind of things. The Jewish people absolutely did not. God was, through Moses, through the Bible, was making, helping them rethink and re-understand the world and how it worked, and that this stuff was not to be worshipped. The sun and the moon and the stars were not to be honored and, you know, like, treated like gods. So a Jewish person living in the first century has this long history, going back to Deuteronomy, of absolutely rejecting any form of paganism, of having more than one God, and that one God being any part of creation. And they were literally willing to die for this. This isn't a small point. The Jewish people, there were groups known as zealots who would kill and themselves be killed to, to refuse, absolutely refuse in any way to accept paganism, to, be, to in any way worship any other God other than Yahweh, to ever be forced to worship the sun. Um, their scriptures uh, pitted them against those who did. Do not be like them. Do not do that. So, to say that Christianity was founded as any kind of sun-worshipping religion, doesn't it just completely ignores the fact that Jewish people started Christianity. You could make that argument. You could kind of try to figure it out if Christianity was started by Greeks, because that kind of stuff existed among the Greeks. They, they, they thought and talked that way. So if you're like, well, actually, these Greek people started it, and really they were just whatever, that's not how it worked. Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. His followers were Jewish. Um, and they were the ones that formed this whole thing. It came out of Judaism. So to put any kind of pagan practice it. Now, furthermore, this is the idea of astrology. And astrology is actually just science. No, it's not. There's a reason why as we moved into the scientific revolution, we created a new word, astronomy, to separate real science from astrology. Astrology in the ancient world was not science in the way that you and I think of it. They did not study the stars and the moon and the skies in order to make sense of the universe and, and do math and things. Astrology was aimed at gaining wisdom, at finding uh, the truth of the gods in the sky. I talked about this a little bit in episode four in the book of Daniel. Um, it was not about scientific discovery. It was about gaining insight uh, it was centered around them searching the heavens, looking at the patterns, the sun, the moon, the stars, that kind of stuff, in order to read the signs and divine the will of the gods. Astrology was a, you might call it a religious activity, not quite the same way as we might think of it, but astrology was based on the idea that there were higher-powered beings up in the atmosphere, the moon, the stars, all of those were gods up there, so if we can study what they're doing, we can figure out what they want from us. Um, they weren't atheists. <laughs> they weren't just spiritual. They were people who believed they were trying to get in touch with the gods. They stood right alongside diviners, necromancers, oracles, other magi in the ancient world who searched creation to find the answers to life. Again, this was something Jewish people were completely opposed to. We, we, and I love the book of Daniel. The whole like stars comes from it. You've probably heard me talk about that. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw Daniel says... Um, talking to the king who's looking for help and interpreting a dream. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, fortune tellers. There, there are no astrologers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets. The book of Daniel is juxtaposed against everything we're talking about right now. 
The book of Daniel shows how Jewish people were completely and utterly opposed to all forms of pagan worship and any form of sun worships, all, all that stuff. A faithful Jew rejected those things and worshiped the one true God alone. That's what it meant to be faithful. And you even see this, there's other places, like the prophet Isaiah, uh, he mocked people who did this. In Isaiah 47, 13, it says this, all the advice you receive, talking to the king, has made you tired. Where are all your astrologers, those stargazers who make predictions each month? Let them stand up and save you from what the future holds. He's basically mocking them. He's mocking the king who was going to astrologers to find answers from the stars and saying, has it helped you? Have you got any answers? Nope, they haven't helped you at all because there's only one true God and he's not hiding up in the stars, okay? Um, this is what Jews believed. It's what they fought for. It's what they died for. It's why they hated Romans so much. How on earth? Could a group of people ever become heliognostic and worship the sun? Or it just doesn't make any sense. They weren't astrologers. They weren't magi. Uh, they they rejected this. Again, that isn't to deny that the early Christian community didn't grow beyond Jerusalem and into Asia Minor, and many Greek and Roman pagans joined Christianity. Uh, and absolutely, some of them struggled to let go of their old ways. This was difficult in the early years, and, and even today, it's still difficult to let go of those old religious habits and things. There were probably some early converts of Christianity who did hold some of these views, who still was like, well, the Son is also a God, right? Or is our one true God, is Jesus actually the Son? No, that probably happened. But the fact that that was trying to seep itself into Christianity does not in any way mean that's what Christianity was founded on because Christianity itself, the Bible, addresses those things coming in. Uh, John says this in 2 John, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist uh, against antichrist, against Christ. He's basically saying there are people who are coming into our midst who are trying to teach that crazy, weird, pagan crap you're hearing. Ignore it. It's not real. Anyone that doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was, the, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, come in flesh. Anyone that wants to make all this weird, ignore them. They don't know what they're talking about. They're lying to you. They're deceivers. And John was a Jewish disciple of Jesus. He was one of the men that wrote one of the four Gospels. He said that anyone who denies Jesus is a real person is an antichrist. They're against the truth. Does that sound like someone who was actually secretly a worshiper of the sun <laughs> and wanted you to think that his story was an allegory about astrology? No, that's nonsense. In fact, John opens his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, the, 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 the truth of God, the, the, the wisdom of God incarnate, and it became flesh, a living real person who walked among us and did real things, and real people talked to him and interacted with him. He ends by telling us the purpose of his book is that so you might believe Jesus is the Christ, not so that you would believe that the Son is actually a higher power. No, it's nonsense. Um, this is what Christianity was always about, God becoming king through Jesus and calling the world to follow him and find life through it. So yeah, and the idea that the gospel books <laughs> are allegories is so completely baseless and contradictory. It's like amazing that, I mean, just people sit on the internet and say this stuff and write this stuff to each other. And it's like, pause, what are you talking about? Have you read these books? Matthew, the book of Matthew is clearly writing to Jewish people. It's a Jewish person writing to other Jewish people to convince them that the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah have been fulfilled. Here's the Messiah, he's real, he's a person. He has a genealogy, he had parents, <laughs> he had a mom and a dad, brothers and sisters. 
the book of Mark is, is written mostly likely to persecuted Christians, especially living in Rome. Uh, people who are being impaled on spikes and lit on fire as human torches for their refusal to deny Jesus as their actual Lord and King. They weren't being killed for some Gnostic pagan belief about the sun or whatever nonsense people can come up with. They weren't being killed because they were secretly trying to form a hidden community of, of agnostic, you know, secret special. No, they were declaring that Jesus was the true Lord of the world and Rome didn't like it. And they were being persecuted and killed because of it. This is what the book's about. And you have the Gospel of Luke. I mean, come on. Luke starts his book by saying, many people have attempted to write accurate accounts about what has happened. Accurate accounts. They used eyewitness reports. Uh, and so he says, I have carefully investigated everything and decided to write my own accurate account so that you may be certain of the truth. Luke starts his book by telling us, I want to tell you about real history. You've heard it. You've heard people talking about it. I researched it. I studied, and I want to give you what I found, an accurate account. This is not an analogy. This is not an allegory. Uh, it's not, it, he consulted. I, like, there's nothing in these books that would make anyone think they're an allegory. So I guess two things. Number one, I just wanted to say that because I wanted to give some affirmation to the Gospels. I wanted to point out that there's a lot of crazy stuff on the internet, people. Please, just take a deep breath. Um, and if you hear some other stuff, whatever, we're here to talk about it, let me know. But also, in all of this, I want you to see that ignoring the Jewishness of our faith has created real problems. This is an extreme. This is a, oh my, what are you talking about, the sun? But there are less extreme issues that come out of it. There are times when I don't, it's not crazy or wild or people start saying and believing things and I'm like, wait a second, you're saying that because you don't quite understand the Jewishness of the original authors of the Bible. Paul was a Pharisee who converted. Um, whatever you think Paul meant when he's writing his letters has to make sense to someone who has a roots in Phariseeism, a, a strict loyal Jew. So understanding Jews, understanding how they thought, understanding their worldview, understanding their religion, will greatly impact how you read and interpret the Bible. So I would encourage you, that's, that's a theme. I'm gonna, that's one thing you'll hear a lot in my podcast. I've spent some time in my studies really looking into Judaism, trying to make sense of it and understand it. Uh, on my YouTube page, on the Like Stars YouTube page, there's a seven-part exploring the world of the gospel that really dives into and digs into who Jews were, how they thought. Check that out, and I'll just keep talking more on this podcast as well because I think it's very, very important. Okay? All right. Uh, that was a long answer to one question. Maybe we're not going to get through all of them. We'll see. All right, question number two. Here we go. It seems like sometimes the Bible makes promises that it doesn't always uphold. Like in the book of James where it says, if someone's sick, the elders should pray and they will be healed. Many times though, people are prayed for and don't get healed. What about that and other promises that seem to be in the Bible? This is a good question. And if I'm just being honest, it's a bit of a personal one for me. Uh, I have a history with this. I, I struggle with this. Just so you guys know, I kind of let you a little bit in my life. I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm so, so grateful for it. My, uh, grateful for it. My parents were amazing. Uh, they taught me about Jesus as a young man. And although I may have spent some time kind of walking away from it, what they, in, what they instilled in me is so huge and so important. But part of the tradition, the Christian tradition, the specific one that I grew up in, was number one, it was very charismatic. We believed in the gifts of spirit, things like that, and, and, and I still am. But we were also often involved in something that was called the Word of Faith movement. And the Word of Faith movement, 
you know, depending on how you think about it, how you, you know, some of it gets mocked pretty harshly online. Uh, but essentially at the core of the Word of Faith movement was the belief that the Bible seems to tell us that as long as we have enough faith, whatever we pray for, we'll get. So it sometimes was lame, like the name it, claim it gospel. You just name it and you'll get it. And if you have enough faith and... Um, I want to say, I don't want to be the guy that gets on a podcast and rails on other Christians. It's not what I'm here for. Um, there's plenty of that nonsense on, on YouTube already. I don't need to fill those airwaves up. Uh, but I do want to say, uh, some of it was unhealthy. Some of it was taking it too far. And then I think that some of it was just trying to be faithful to the scriptures. I get that. But at the core of a lot of it was this issue of what does it mean to read the Bible and see a promise and how do we interpret or understand things? And if it is a promise, it doesn't happen. What does that say about God? Is he unfaithful? I remember being a young man, uh, maybe not even a young man, maybe eighth or ninth grade, and going to, it was like a conference or something, and the guy was preaching. It was kind of your typical word of faith. If you just believe, if you just have enough faith in your heart, you just, God will answer your prayers. It says it right here in the Bible. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. And I had it in my head, like, what does this mean? Well, it just means I have to, um, like, just, I don't know, like, look like I'm going to the bathroom on my face or something. I really believe, I really believe. (laughs) Um, The more constipated I look, the more I'm believing. I I believe, I believe, I believe. And just believing that God was going to do a miracle and nothing and nothing. And and then going back the next night and saying nothing. And over the course of time, just kind of looking around like, like all these people talk about this all the time. But I don't really ever see any miracles. (laughs) Like, like they all talk about it, but none of them is just, what's the problem? And I remember coming to this place of realizing it was kind of making me feel bad because I was like, well, I just don't have enough faith. And then I would hear it in other people. Well, you just don't have enough faith. You're just, God's promises are yes and amen. So if you did it and you didn't receive the promise, then you did something wrong. There's something wrong with you. Uh, and you can see echoes of that in the book of Job. Maybe we'll cover that sometime. Uh, so I want to talk about promises. I want to talk about promises in the Bible. Um, I do want to do an entire podcast on the word faith, although most of you, a lot of you I know have already listened to my whole three-hour lecture on the word faith, but this stuff comes into it here. So let me start here. Within the world of Judaism, ah, we're back, we're back to Judaism. (laughs) There was always an understood difference between what we might think of as words from God, direct words from God, and what we would call wisdom writing. Those were different things. However, both of those things were put together into the Bible. And now, today, in, in our world, you know, Christian world, we use this word inspired, and we say uh, the Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, it's all true, anything it says is the word of God. And because of that, it can be a little bit confusing sometimes, because we can be like, well, it's all the word of God, all of it's inspired, it's all inerrant, so everything that's in it is true. And here's a promise, if, if God is true, the Bible is true, then the promise should happen, or whatever. But if you were to go back and talk to Jewish people, they would they might kind of look at you funny when you said that. Like, wait a second, what? No, we don't we don't believe that necessarily. Uh, they understood the difference between what they would call prof, prophetic words from prophets and wisdom literature. So let me explain the difference. It, and I, I've already talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast. That a prophet was someone who was speaking directly from God. They were saying in a particular moment about a particular subject something that God was saying. And so if a prophet made a promise, the idea was that's God giving a promise. And if it doesn't happen, that wasn't actually a prophet, unless there was a conditional statement, like God will do this if you do this. Which sometimes that's the case. There are conditional statements in the Bible, by the way. 
Um, but a prophet's word, if a, tr- a true prophet should be followed unconditionally, and whatever he says, that's the word of God. However, a couple things. Number one, when an Old Testament prophet spoke, those prophecies were given to specific people at a specific time, usually to the Jewish people in the Old Covenant. And so you need to be careful, first and foremost, about assuming that because something looks like a promise that you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, that you're just assuming, well, it's written to me, so it's a promise to me, so God better do it. Well, hold on. (laughs) That can be a problem because, number one, it wasn't written to you. You can learn from it. You can glean from it. But if uh, the prophet Isaiah wasn't prophesying to you, he was prophesying to Jewish people. So (laughs) that's that doesn't, like, well, he said this, and that seemed to apply to my life, so it wasn't a prophecy to you. Um, so you need to, you, to go around and blame God for it not happening when it wasn't even written to you is dangerous. Secondly, and this is the bigger issue I want to cover, along with things that we'd call prophetic or works writings of prophets, you had what you called wisdom literature. Um, and wisdom literature was understood a bit differently than prophetic literature. And uh, the clearest example of wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs. You also have the book of Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon, some people, depending on who you talk to, may put Daniel in there. That, that's, that's controversial. Uh, but these writings fall under a different category. And the category of wisdom is, it's, you got to nuance it a little bit. Because wisdom looked at how God created, what God called good and what God called bad, Tov and Ra. Wisdom wanted to know what is the way in which God wants us to live to bring about the life he has for us. Wisdom spoke more in generalities. Wisdom sought to find, generally speaking, what is it that God wants? How does God want us to behave? What is good for man? What is not good for man based on what God has revealed to us to find God's best life? So if you compare, for example, a book like Jeremiah with a book like Proverbs, Jeremiah was a prophet of God hearing the voice of God speaking directly to the people of Israel and God's plan for them in their future. So when he made a promise when he said, God is promising you this, he was, God was speaking, making a promise to those people at those time. Jeremiah 29 11 was not written to you. It was written to the Israelites. Uh, that, that one was free. Um, <laughs> but you can still learn from it. There's still things to be gleaned from it. Uh, Proverbs, on their hand, is full of short wisdom statements, ideas about how the world generally works. They were not intended, when even written, to be read as absolute promises that will always come true. The truth is, The writers of Proverbs knew when they wrote it that sometimes people can work hard and still fail. Uh, We know that. We know that sometimes a person can be lazy and inept and things just still fall their way and they end up rich. We get it. But generally speaking, in God's economy, in the world that God made, it is generally true that those who work hard and strive and aren't lazy will come, come out on top. This is wisdom literature. And honestly, a lot of the things in, in Proverbs are offset by other wisdom literature, like Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is all work hard and everything will go good. Ecclesiastes is like, yeah, you know, sometimes it just rains. Just enjoy your life. Like it kind of, it's looking at both sides of it. In the book of Job, man, not everything, Job, the entire story of Job is ultimately about the fact that stop assuming that God will give you good things if you do things right and that God will punish you if you do things wrong. That is not the world. That's not actually God's wisdom. So Proverbs isn't a Proverbs is not full of promises. I remember being given a book when I was a kid that said uh, it was like three hundred promises from God in the book of Proverbs, and I'm like, oh, and I like read them all, and I'll, and I remember reading them. I'm like, wait, 
I know people that haven't done this and this didn't, how is God a liar? And I wrestled with that. Is God a liar? And the reality is I had to come to this point of saying, maybe I'm misunderstanding wisdom literature. That, you know, it's not a, this is a guarantee. It's a, this is a, generally speaking, this is how it'll be. And as a parent, you understand that. If you're a parent, and I'm a parent, I understand that. If you're not a parent, you know your parents understand they talk to you. And your parents would say, you know, son, daughter, don't do that thing because it'll lead to bad stuff. And you're like, I did it once and nothing bad happened. Well, <laughs> there's a, you know, whatever. But it was generally speaking, you know, you can smoke your entire life and not get cancer. Did you know that? There are people who have smoked their entire life and never get cancer. But generally speaking, smoking causes cancer. It's not wise to smoke. So that's kind of the world in which Proverbs is living. And this is where things get a little dicey for us. And I, I'm, what I'm about to say might be things that some of you, you take it how you want to take it. <laughs> a lot of New Testament scholars and agree, and, and I'm in agreement with them, that the book of James is actually something closer to wisdom writing than, say, the book of Romans. It's a book with a long and difficult history within the church, not just for this passage about healing, but also the tension between works and faith and all these kind of things. Um, and people often struggle with James because they can miss what James is doing. It's next to other letters of people like Paul or Peter or John who um, are just writing kind of these normal preaching letters. But here's James, kind of different. James is a bit more of a Jewish sage, wisdom writing from a Christian perspective. James seems like he's doing wisdom writing through the lens of the teachings of Jesus. Now, please, if you're hearing that, you're like, is Pete undermining the book of James? No, I love the book. I love the book of James. It is the word of God for my life. Um, but wisdom is the word of God. Uh, when I say God's wisdom, that is the word, God's wisdom, God's truth is his word. We're talking about the difference between a promise, an absolute, thus saith the Lord, this will happen, versus generally speaking, how God wants us to behave and how he wants to, to live. Um, and James seems to be living in that world. Again, it's inspired, it's of God, but wisdom literature wants to talk about how the world generally works and good things you should do in order to bring about the good that God has for you. Wisdom literature is not a list of absolute promises. When you read wisdom literature, it's not, this will absolutely happen. Uh, and again, you know, like, hey, if you, if you commit crime, you're going to go to jail. Is that true? Well, are there people who've committed crime and gotten away from it? Got away with it? Yeah. But still, we'd say it's true. Yeah, like you commit crime, it's a bad idea, you're going to jail. That's wisdom. That's, how, that's the world wisdom is working in. It's true, but it's not a promise. There are exceptions. Um, so just like Proverbs can give God's wisdom that working hard, saving, and not being dumb uh, will generally bring about more personal wealth, <laughs> there will always be exceptions. Um, so too, I would argue, the book of James is offering God's wisdom that if someone is sick, if someone is struggling, you should pray for them and ask God to heal. And doing so will bring about healing. Um, but as wisdom writing, it shouldn't be read as an absolute promise. And if it doesn't get healed, well, there's something wrong with you. You did something wrong, or God is a liar. Um, it's not a formula that you have to just push certain buttons and force God's hand. It's 
saying, generally speaking, this is a good way to live your life. When you've got a problem, ask God for help. Um, and I think that's wise. I think that's true. And some people struggle with this because they feel it's undermining God's word. You're taking the truth of God's word and you're, you're, you're messing with it. You're undermining it. And I would, personally, I, I just disagree. I would say it's simply trying to do a better job of reading and understanding God's word. And plus, those who say that James is a promise or verses like that are a promise, they have to go to all kinds of crazy lengths and semantical tricks to explain why so often people aren't healed. And a lot of times, those tricks, those, those ends that they go to, usually end up doing one of two things, making you and I feel bad about who we are, why we didn't get healed, or why didn't we get a miracle, or making God out to be a liar. I have seen time and time again, people take these things that they say are promises that don't happen, and either the person who didn't get their answer, didn't get their miracle or whatever, just goes into this depression that it's their fault, they're not a good Christian, whatever, God doesn't love me enough, or they get angry. God isn't fair, God is unjust, uh, he, you know, he's not treating me right, he's a liar. Again, I'm basically describing the book of Job to you, by the way. Um, and the whole time, it's like, wait a second, wait a second. These are not promises in the same sense as wisdom. And again, I, I just think being a parent, this is so much easier for me to kind of process and think through now than maybe when I wasn't. When I tell my kids something, and I might just make a general statement, and maybe later they're like, well, you promised, you promised. It's like, I didn't promise. I was just saying, generally speaking, it was good, or vice versa. Um, generally speaking, it is bad to do this or that thing. You might get away with it. <laughs> you know, It is good to do this thing or thing. Maybe you'll do good and it won't work out. But generally speaking, generally speaking, studying for your test is going to bring about better grades. But I studied all night and I still got to see. You promised. No, I didn't. I just told you something that's generally true about life. And I would say the worst part is the guilt that it puts on people. And I, I, I'm sharing this. Again, I, I love the concept of wisdom. And I have a very specific memory in my early 20s of hearing a guy, a quote-unquote prophet, uh, speaking at a church, coming in and talking the whole time about wisdom and he was wisdom and God's wisdom. And then at the end, he's like, if you want more of wisdom, what you need to do is tithe $8,000 right now. <laughs> and, you know, and then we're going to pray. And when you tithe that money, uh, you're going to get whatever miracle you're asking God for. Because the Bible says, test me and give me money and I'll give you. And it's just like, that whole thing was couched as wisdom and it was the least wise thing I've ever heard. Um, if you ever hear a pastor or a preacher tell you that God will give you your miracle if you do X, Y, and Z, turn it off and walk away. Just turn it off and walk away. Um, I believe that God answers prayer. I believe that God still does miracles today. I believe in the supernatural. I'm not a naturalist. Uh, I've seen miracles. I, I've told you guys before in this podcast, I am a charismatic. I, I do some weird things sometimes. I, I, I pray in tongues. That's a weird deal. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that on the podcast too, sure. Um, so I'm not, I'm not like against, I, I, I've, I've literally with my own eyes seen another human being get healed. I was at a conference. I saw it happen. I do not reject that at all. I believe that if you're sick or you have a need from God, you should pray. And you should gather people around you to pray and ask God to intervene. 100%. 
What I reject is the idea that the Bible promises you God will do this, this, or that. It doesn't. It's offering you wisdom that that's a better approach to life. It is a better approach to life to study hard, to work hard, to not oversleep, to eat well. Those things will bring about the life you're looking for because that's how God wired us. It is a better approach to life to continually and constantly take your needs to God and pray and ask him to intercede. More often than not, you're gonna see him do something amazing. But if it doesn't happen, it's not your fault. It's not because you lack faith. You didn't make yourself believe hard enough. And it's not because God is a liar and it's not because God is unfaithful. And it's certainly not because God doesn't love you. It's probably because there's some misunderstanding of the, of the Bible there. I think the Bible tells us the wisest thing to do when someone is sick is to pray um, and ask God to move, trusting on his goodness and believing that he can and will and want to and, and see what happens, right? But to do so, understanding that just like the wisdom of Proverbs doesn't mean we'll always work out, sometimes we pray and people aren't healed. I don't know why. You know, oh, that's the question for the podcast. Pete, why do people get prayed and not get healed? I don't know. I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. Um, I don't believe it's because you lack faith. And I don't believe it's because you don't just believe hard enough. Um, I, I, you know, God is who he is and he's, he does things on his time. And so guard yourself from this idea that if it doesn't happen, it's your fault or that God is unfair. And instead, just continue to live, continue to walk, continue to trust. Even if you don't get this miracle, pray for the next one, right? Um, don't give up. That's, that's what God has called us to do. Uh, and so I think that's a better approach to life. And I think even in this whole like uh, health and wealth and name it, claim it, all that stuff, which isn't quite as popular as it used to be, uh, there was good in it. There was good in it. There were good people. There were really there were people that loved Jesus and uh, wanted to see God move. But there was also an undercurrent of misunderstanding, I think, the text sometimes. And, and it created problems for people. And it, sometimes it created guilt and anger. And hopefully the wise thing to do in living the life God has called us to is to see when it is wisdom literature and not necessarily a promise. If it is a promise, hold to it. Um, those who put their faith in Jesus will be given everlasting life. That is a promise. I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. That's a promise, people. Uh, go for it. <laughs> trust that God is going to give you that 100%. Um, trust that when you ask God to forgive you, he will and he will remove your sins as far as he's from us. Those are promises. There are promises in the Bible, and they're good ones. Um, you have the promise of eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus. That's a, that's a nail-it-to-the-wall promise. It's going to happen. Um, so, all right. Well, those two questions went really long. I apologize. I didn't get to the whole uh, fallen angels and the book of Jude and the Nephilim and Genesis. So guess what? You have to tune in <laughs> the next episode. That's called a teaser. I gotcha. <laughs> You're like, what about the fallen angels? Uh, you just got to wait. But we're going to talk about that next week along with some other ones. If you got any other questions, please send them to me, pete at risecitychurch.com, pete at risecitychurch.com. You can also find the Like Stars podcast on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Uh, Facebook, there's a Like Stars page. There's a Like Stars website. There's Like Stars toilet paper coming out soon. I have Like Stars mini Pete bobblehead dolls I'm making. None of that's true. I apologize. Uh, I, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, whatever. 
Um, I'm enjoying this. Thank you so much for those of you that have been following, who've been subscribing, who've been um, giving encouragement. Thanks for those who've been sending in questions. Some of the questions that are coming, I just, I've just been answering and haven't even put on the podcast, but I so enjoy it. I so get, like having the opportunity to do this with you guys. I appreciate it. Um, I'm grateful for all of you that, that have responded and just even sent comments saying that you're listening and you're enjoying what we're talking about. So please, if you have a question, send it to me. Love to hear it. Love to talk to you about it. Subscribe, like, uh, as Anthony said, I mentioned last week, smash that subscribe button uh, because that's what all the, the cool kids are doing these days. And I am not one of them. All right, everybody, have a fantastic week. And looking forward to next episode, we'll talk about spirits in prisons, fallen angels, Nephilim, and whatever else you guys come up and send me this week. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. You consume me. Yeah.